Amen. Well, it's a blessing to be here this Lord's Day. Um, look forward to worshiping the only living God, the holy, holy, holy God with you through the preached word. I said, yeah, I've been looking forward to for a couple months now, or as the brother mentioned that he told me a couple weeks ago or months ago, and it's always a blessing to preach places, but it's especially a blessing to preach at your home church and with your people, so I'm glad to be here. Do you remember we've been looking through the law, the Ten Commandments together, and we've got through the first four, and we got through the fifth one last time. So today we'll be dealing with the Sixth Commandment. Um, uh, before we dive into it, let me read this whole section for you. You'll find the scripture in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter number 20, I will read um, this whole portion in its entirety to get us up to speed. Exodus chapter number 20, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless which that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. This is the word of the living God. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would help us this Lord's Day. I pray that You would um, give me clarity of thought, give me boldness, help me as I preach Your Word to Your people, and I pray that You would help. I pray that You would be glorified and praised in all that's accomplished. Lord, help us. Teach us what it is when You say, Thou shalt not kill. Lord, help our hearts today. We are needy people. Lord, we need You in every aspect. Lord, we need much of You and less of us. Father, help us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thou shalt not kill. What a simple message. What a simple message. We're, we're not killers. That's an easy one. Or is it? So before you tune out and say, well, I've never killed anyone, just let's take a moment to really consider the depths of this short saying, this short command. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's two words. It's even shorter. Thou shalt not kill. 
I love the King James Version. I'm not knocking it, but I do wish they'd used a stronger word than kill. Uh, the Hebrew word here properly means to dash in pieces, to murder a human being, and is translated as slay, manslayer, murder, murderer, put to death. But in our text, it's translated as kill. And the majority of usages that you will see, it's either slay or murder. It's never used in self-defense. It's never used in a righteous killing. It's never used in a justified war. But it is used here as the word kill. And so the word carries with it an action more than just killing. Because there is a sense in which it is good and it is just and it is righteous to kill someone or something. But this carries with it something different. To dash into pieces. To murder a human being. Really grinds my gears when folks will attack the death penalty, for instance, by misquoting this. They'll say, well, thou shalt not kill. You'll be sitting eating a burger and a vegan will walk up to you, thou shalt not kill. Leave me alone, you don't know what it's saying. There's something different than just killing that's being intended by the text. In fact, of the 47 times that this particular word is used, 20 of those times it's in Numbers 35 talking about the manslayer. Again, in Deuteronomy and Joshua describing the manslayer. So please don't clump all killing into this command. It's not the same. There's something stronger than what appears at a surface level when the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. It's not outlawing killing animals for food or the death penalty or rendering you guilty for defending your life for the life of others. No. As you're about to see, this is the prohibition against the unjust taking of the life of an image bearer of God. In order to examine this, I want to look at it in three places. We're going to take three looks today. We're going to take a look at the origin. We'll take a look at others and to take a look at ourselves. And if you're like my wife who kindly let me know that this makes no sense, let me explain. I was trying to alliterate, so I used three O's. But if I were to give this a title, the sermon of this title would be The Sanctity of Human Life, A Look at Its Origin, A Look at Others, and A Look at Ourselves. So now I hope that makes sense. Maybe your mind wheels are turning in the line of thought that I'm about to go. Thou shalt not kill. Why? Why? Why is it? Why is it that we should not kill? What makes it... Uh, you know, if we're just a, a clump of evolved cells, if we're just human, if we're just some abstract being, if we're just some particular individual, if the atheist is right that we just evolved out of nothing, then really this carries no weight with it. Right. it. It's funny that the atheist will say, I'm a good person, I've never killed anybody. Well, by what standard do you say that that's a good thing? If we're just a clump of cells, it's no different than picking off a scab and throwing it in the trash. What is it that gives human life sanctity? What is it that gives human life value and meaning and purpose? Well, as you see, if we look at our origin in Genesis, we will see that our purpose, our, our sanctity comes from being image bearers of the Most High God. Genesis chapter number 9, the Bible says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon 
All that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea into your hands are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat? And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man. And at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And you be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. I could have gone to Genesis 1 where the Bible says that God said, let us make man in our image. But I went there specifically because now this is after the fall, this is after the flood. When we were created, we were created in the image of God, but surely after the flood, maybe this all changed. No, we're still created in the image of God. So the standard that gives us sanctity, the standard that makes our life meaningful is that we're image bearers of God. See, the fall, when, when the flood happened, God still told Noah, don't shed innocent blood because that's an image bearer of me. Even though the flood, even though the fall had marred this image, it had not done away with it altogether. Of all the creatures, none could say they were made in the image of God except man. So the sanctity of human life is found in being made in God's image. (coughs) What fish, what bird, what creeping thing could say, I am made in God's image? Man may say, I am made in God's image. And it is only man who can say this, that he or she is in the image of God. This is the origin and the very cause of your sanctity and your value is that you are made as an image bearer of the Most High God. We're not a clump of evolved cells. If you kill someone because they made you angry, you are killing someone made in God's image. And that's what makes it wrong. You're not just getting rid of a clump of evolved cells. We're living creatures made in God's image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this. Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2. Genesis 9 and verse 6 that we just read. So let's explore this challenging phrase. What's unique about being made in God's image? Well, number one, only man is said to be made in the image of God. (coughs) Number two, only man has dominion over the earth. Number three, man was the final creation. And number four, after the fall and even after the flood, man has not lost this image, though it be marred by sin. And is it not told us in the New Testament that we're being conformed to the image of Christ in our salvation? Are we not getting a much better realization of this truth? Are we not being made more and more like our Savior? Uh, We see it's important in the Old Testament. Well, Calvin said of this, in order for us to come to a sure knowledge of ourselves, we must first grasp the fact that Adam, parent of us all, was created in the image and likeness of God. That is, he was endowed with wisdom, righteousness, and holiness. Now Calvin went on to show that God has this infinitely in this sense, that He's infallible and He's infinite. He is these things. But man was gifted these things by the Most High God. We're wise beings. We're intelligent beings. We're we're reflected as it were. Mirrors reflecting the glory of God like no other creature can. 
Does every human life have value? Yes. There is sanctity in the human life given us by God. Just look at our origin. We are made in the image of God. Now, thou shalt not kill takes on a very deep meaning. Well, there's the necessary why, but let's take a look at others. Isn't that why we're here? Let's, let's look at how this plays out practically. We've, we've looked at our, the sanctity human life and its origin, but let's look at others. How does this pertain to others? Well, let me borrow from the, our Presbyterian brothers in the larger catechism. What are the sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? Question 136. The sins forbidden in the Sixth Commandment are all taking away the life of ourselves or of others, except in case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense, the neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of the preservation of life. But listen to this, it goes further. Did not Christ go to the very heart of this law in the New Testament? Sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. We have no right for revenge. All excessive passions and distracting cares. That time when someone gets you so heated and you're so angry and you snap, that's an excessive passion. That's malice. That's envy. That's anger. And that's forbidden by this law. Distracting cares. Immoderate use of meat. Drink, labor, and recreations. Provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. Thou shalt not kill. If I were to tell my children, now Maddie, you don't kill Etzel. Where's her mind going? To the very obvious. Okay, I'm not going to take a knife and stab my brother. That's, that's killing. Well, I let him go out and play in the yard and one steals a toy from the other. What happens? Maybe they're angry at the other one and they start quarreling. Well, what did they do? What do we do? What happens when we get out of bed, we roll out of bed, we've missed our first and second alarm, we hit snooze one too many times, didn't have another alarm, now we've Woke up on the wrong side of the bed. We're driving down the road to work. We spilled our coffee. We're mad already. And some jerk cuts us off in traffic. We lay on the horn. We breathe those nasty things about him. What did we just do to that person? Was that not anger in our heart to kill him? Man, if we'd had a knife in the time, we'd have done it. It's not only the egregious manifestation of the violation of this law, which is the physical act itself, but it's the heart contained in thinking these things. Right. Now obviously it's egregious when you actually go and you take the knife and you thrust it into their heart. But what about that terrible action of your heart when you've done it in your mind? You know that a murderer, when he murders someone, has those exact same thoughts in his heart. That envy, that anger, the envy, oh, if I were just like that person. Man, if I just had the same house, if I just had the same car, if I just looked as good as that one, if I just had the same opportunities, 
Man, I wish I was like that person. The anger. Oh, man. Man, you won't believe what he said to me. You won't believe what she said to me. That hatred, that sinful anger, that desire of revenge, that excessive passion and malice that's in your heart is what God said is the same as a violation of this command. It's not just the taking of the life. It's the desire. If you say love, if you, what does the New Testament say? If you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. You're a murderer. Well, it's not such an easy command now, is it? Right. Oh, it was so easy. I've never physically killed anyone. I've never murdered. <clears throat> Well, now look at the heart of this teaching. Thou shalt not kill. Two little Hebrew words. It says a whole lot, doesn't it? The wife did that thing you don't like for the millionth time and you just just rail into her. The husband got home, threw his boxers, missed the basket. Man, you just tore him up. Oh, you're just not going to let the, the, kid, the kid disobeys you? And rather than disciplining and teaching that child, you get on their level and you talk bad to them and talk down to them and you're ugly with them. What'd you do? Killed them in your heart. It's disgusting. We downplay it. We, like we often do. Well, I'd never killed anyone. I venture to say we've killed a bunch of people in our heart just on our way to church on the Lord's Day morning. Your boss gave your lazy coworker the promotion instead of you, and now you're saying ugly things about him at the water tank? Your brother hit his 490th time of sinning against you, and now your patience out. You go against him. <clears throat> see where this is going? You see how it's much deeper than just taking the knife and thrusting it through the heart? It's that word. It's that intention. It's that heart to do what you would do if you weren't scared to. Or if you had more time. What about watching others around us murder innocent image bearers while we remain silent? Surely we wouldn't do that. You know, in World War II, there was a church that was near a concentration camp. And the story goes that as the trains would go by, taking people to their death, when they heard the trains, they knew what it was. And instead of going out there and saying something against it, they would sing louder so that they could sear their conscience. So it wouldn't bother them. Have we not done that during the Holocaust of abortion in the United States? Sing a little louder, dress a little nicer, forget it's happening. I looked at the statistics. California, New York, they don't report abortions. They don't have to. And even with the reported abortions, we've killed 63 million children in this country. 63 million. That makes Hitler look like a toddler. An angry baby at a daycare. Pro-life, incremental heartbeat bills are not the answer. And thou shalt not kill. The opposite is also true. Thou shalt preserve life. Mm -hmm. 
Not only are we not to go out there and take life, but we are to proactively protect those who cannot protect themselves. The innocent unborn neighbor of yours cannot protect himself, cannot protect yourself. And we as Christians are obligated by this command to do something about it. Not sit silent while it happens. I love the bumper stickers. I've probably got a bumper sticker on my car. But that's not ending anything, is it? Soothing the conscience. We must fight until this practice is outlawed. We must defend our unborn neighbors. Silence is as good as acceptance. How many of us, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Okay, it's over. It's not over. There's more work to be done. We must pursue it until it's complete. How do you get that? Well, thou shalt not kill. As we've gone through the law here, we've noticed that as the positive command is said, thou shalt not, the opposite is implied, thou shalt. Well, what is it? Thou shalt preserve life. Well, let's go further. What about our justice system? Or injustice system, if you want to call it that. It's the government's God-given duty to protect life and to punish evil, is it not? Yeah. And according to Genesis 9, well, before we get there, it's also their job to protect the sanctity of life. And according to Genesis 9, the putting to death of murderers actually affirms this sanctity of life. The New Testament says in Romans 13, verses 4-7, through in there it says that they do not bear the sword in vain. It means they carry a sword not just to look good, but to put down the murderer, to put down the evildoer. It is our duty as Christians to pursue righteousness in our land. When a state will kill babies and protect murderers, it shows you their depravity. You're safer in a jail cell than you are in a womb in America. You don't believe me? Look at death row. Thou shalt not kill. Important note here is that not all killings murder. When a man aims to sexually or violently abuse another human, it's only it's not only lawful, but it's righteous to defend that life. Right. It's not the same as murder. It's a good thing. It is a righteous thing. Why do I carry a gun? No, I'm not scared. I am defending life. I am preserving life. If you decide to harm someone, you forfeit your right to life. Mm-hmm. This law obligates us to protect others. Exodus 22 and verse 2 says that if a man breaks into your home at night and you strike him and he dies, there is no blood to be shed for him. If a man hurts your pride, you're not permitted to put him to death. Right. Now, see, there's differences. We aren't to get in ego battles. Or to preserve life. Sometimes that involves defense. Sometimes that involves de-escalation. Sometimes it involves capital punishment or legislation. But finally, this oftentimes means putting others first. We live in a selfish society, but we as Christians must be conformed to the image of Christ. And that means putting others' needs first. That means when you have an opportunity to do good, do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. But if you see your enemy hungry, feed him. You see your enemy thirsty, give him drink. If you see someone in the community that needs something, 
preserve their life. Do good to others. Do good to them. Question 135, the answer was this. The duties required in the Sixth Commandment. So the other was the duties forbidden, but the duties required in the Sixth Commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any by just defense thereof against violence, patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, physic, which is just uh, uh, medicating or, or supplements and things of that nature, sleep, labor, and recreations, by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peace, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing, and forgiving of injuries, and requiting good for evil, comforting and succoring the distressed, and protecting and defending the innocent. That looks a lot like the fruits of the Spirit, does it not? So if we're to preserve life, we are to be Christians. Yeah. If we are to be Christians, we are to be Christ-like. That's how we preserve life. We treat others like we want God to treat us. We don't go out to be about ourselves. We don't puff ourselves up. We don't uh, get on this ego battle of look how great I am and how wonderful I am. How many killings would have been stopped if people weren't so egotistical and so self-centered? Right. It's usually... Well, he hurt my pride, and I'm going to let him have it. Mm-hmm. That's not the way of a Christian. That is not the lifestyle that honors God. The lifestyle that honors God is someone that's ready and, and excited and quick to seek reconciliation, quick to forgive sins, quick to forget wrongs. Love keeps no record of these wrongs. We're obligated to defend the innocent. And protect them. Friends, while not exhaustive, there's a good list of ways in which how we when we look at the sanctity of life and we look at others, those are some ways you can be reminded to keep other lives sanctified. To see value in others and to honor that value. To not take it. But with what time we have left, I want to look at ourselves now. The sanctity of human life and ourselves. And this one's obviously the hardest. I'm going to borrow heavily from this this catechism here. First, we're required to preserve our own life. Now that means to take care of it. To avoid life-threatening occasions as possible. To not live lives of heightened stress, but to be at peace in Christ. To have a cheerfulness of spirit. To have charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness. Uh, This has multiple benefits. One of being, if you act like that, you're not putting yourself in a situation where someone wants to kill you typically. (laughs) Unless they hate Christ and then they're going to martyr you and praise be to God. Being ready to be reconciled. Stop stressing yourself. 
and killing others in your heart, killing yourself with high blood pressure. And I've danced around the hard one. We're going to look at a few hard ones here. And you'll have to bear with me in this. I, I believe there's a way in which American Christians kill themselves and they commit to the long-term suicide. And I mean this very graciously, but we're going to look at a sober use of meat, drink, physics, sleep, labor, and recreations. Sober use of meat. May I say I'm not thrilled to talk about a sober use of meat? You can look at me. My coat is three sizes too big. It's because I have struggled with this one. You know, in America, just because the culture says it's okay to be fat and a glutton and a pig doesn't mean that it's okay. We have 350-pound preachers that will stand up and rail against alcohol and they'll rail against adultery and fornication. It's hard to take them seriously because their gut is protruding over the pulpit. You're a glutton. You're not even sober at the table. How are you going to tell me to be sober in my life? You're committing long-term suicide. We joke. We laugh. Oh, it's time for the, the church eat, eating. It's time to get together and eat. How many, how many servants can I get? Oh, brother, I'm going to eat that whole dish. We laugh as if it's not something that God hates. You know, in Proverbs, when God is speaking against drunkenness or fornication, you'll oftentimes see that word gluttony right there with it. Now, is food something that you can have and you should have and it's a gift from God? Yes. Is, is sex a gift from God that you should have and enjoy? Yes. Is, uh, alcohol was a, a gift from God. He gave it to make the heart merry, the Bible says. We don't have a problem with putting parameters on the other. We realize that sex is to be enjoyed inside of a marriage between a man and a woman. We realize that, that alcohol is to be enjoyed to the glory of God in moderation, not in drunkenness. And then we look at food and say, well, brother, get you another serving. Prolonged obesity. And I got this off the CDC so nobody can say I'm throwing darts. Prolonged obesity is a leading cause of diabetes. High blood pressure. Heart problems. Strokes, early death, hospital visits, high cholesterol, heart disease, gallbladder disease, osteoarthritis, sleep apnea, cancer, a low quality of life, depression, anxiety, <coughs> low self-esteem, altered sex drive, body pain, problems with physical function. Is that honoring the image bearer of God? No. That third helping of taters to comfort your soul is destroying your body. It's not so comforting when you're old and decrepit and you can't move. We're killing ourselves. We're not honoring image bearers of God. Slowly committing suicide. Trashing your body. Uh, Proverbs 23. Just so you don't think I'm on a hobby horse here. Proverbs 23, verses 19 through 21. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way 
be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, from the drunkard and the glutton shall, or for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe the man with rags. You wouldn't feed a neighbor your poison. Would you feed a neighbor poison? Huh? Surely, hopefully not. When we eat like this, in a way that's glorified by the American society, we're feeding ourselves poison. And I'll tell you, friend, as, as humbly as I can, you dishonor an image bearer of God. We were not made to be 400 pounds. We were made to work. We were made to eat to get what we needed and to sustain our life and to use our strength to glorify God, not dishonor Him by our intake. Not only that, when we eat too much, we take when others are hungry. I've thrown away more food in my life than some kids will eat in a year. That's a shame. Well, maybe you're not fat. Maybe you have a good metabolism. That doesn't, that doesn't clear you. Eat what's needed. Right. You might be skinny as a rail and eat junk. You're a glutton. Eat what's needed and thank God for it and go on. Respect the image bearer of God that you see in the mirror when you wake up. Yelp. You got that one over with. That was hard, wasn't it? The sober use of drink. This one's not so hard. This one's easier to see. It's a commander. It isn't commanded or necessary to drink. I don't care if you drink. I don't care if you do or don't. It doesn't matter. But what is outlawed and forbidden is the abuse of alcohol. Right. It's a gift from God. It's enjoyable. It's something that you can enjoy to the glory of God. And it's something that you can abuse to the harm of an image bearer of God. You think driving down the road drunk as a skunk and running over little kids and, and, and killing yourself, do you think that's respectful to the image bearer of God that you see in the mirror? When you pickle your liver for 30 years and then die of cirrhosis, is that, is that respectful to the image bearer of God that you see in the mirror when you wake up in the morning? No. Well, that's where the catechism says the sober use of alcohol. Know your limit. Don't try to flirt with it. Drink to God's glory in moderation. If you can't do that, don't drink. Right. You don't need it. Trash your liver. It ruins your marriage. It can hurt your children. Trash your testimony. It's not worth it. Right. You can't handle it? Don't. <clears throat> Respect the image bearer of God that you see in the mirror. What about physic? Simply means take medication soberly. Don't abuse pharma. But if you need something, take what you need. Take supplements. Strengthen your body. What really gets to is take care of your physical health. Don't trash your body. Take care of it. Nurture it. What's Ephesians say? A man loves his... There's not a man that doesn't love his own body, but nourishes it and, and, and feeds it and cherishes it. Right. Take care of your body. What about sleep? What about sleep? Well, that's a hard one. You know, I, I give myself excuses. I say, well, when I get home from work, I want to stay up late so I can spend all this time with my kids. And then I have to get up early in the morning and go to work. Am I really spending time with the kids 
in a way that's beneficial to both of us if I'm staying up and burning the midnight oil and then waking up at the crack of dawn and, 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 and trashing my body. You know, we have good reasons for it, we think. We'll say, well, I've got to study or I've got to do this thing or I've got to do that thing. We trash our body through not sleeping. The Lord gives us a blessing. Does He not give His loved, His beloved children sleep? Take advantage of it. Your body needs it. Respect <coughs> the image bearer that you see in the mirror. Unplug your phone. Get away from your electronics. Go to the bedroom and sleep. They say it's good to have between seven and nine hours. Get you some. But then on the flip side, don't be a, the slugger. Don't be the sloth that loves his bed. Be lazy. Sleep what you need. Don't take advantage of sleep. Be lazy. You don't sleep enough, it causes health problems. You sleep too much, it causes health problems. Get what you need and go on. What about labor? Thou shalt not kill. You ever seen somebody that works herself to death? Don't work yourself to death. And don't be lazy either. There's a sober use of labor. Work. God created us to work. You know, Adam was created to work. The fall just made it hard. But he was created to work. Don't forsake the Sabbath. Don't forsake your family to make a dollar. You can't make it on six days. The seventh ain't going to help you. Don't work yourself to death. Don't be lazy. Both will kill you. Either one. You ever seen somebody that works hard their whole life, they get to retire, and then they turn into a lazy lazy nothing that just sits on the couch and then they die within two years. You're meant to move. Do something. Get up and go. What about recreation? Isn't it always holy to not have a recreation? Oh, I don't do anything for fun. I am too holy. No. It's good in your life to have a moral hobby. Take time away from the efforts of life. Why? Because when you're taking time away from those things and, and having moral recreation, you're preserving that image bearer's body. You're loving what God gave you and you're taking <coughs> care of it and you're enjoying His creation. Find something you like to do and unwind. It's good for your physical, mental, and spiritual health to play on occasion. When you don't allow yourself this time, you're not respecting your well-being or your life or the life of an image bearer. Isn't it so much easier to look at how we kill others and say, okay, well, we won't do that. But then we look at ourselves and it's like, man, we're trashing our bodies. It's good to have the recreation. I believe Calvin played games. I can't remember what it was, but he, he did something. You know what I mean? He wrote a lot more than I'll ever even read. But he's playing. I tell you what. Take care of your body. Take care of your body. Take time. Go out and golf if you like golf. Play disc golf. I don't care what you do. Do something to the glory of God and enjoy His creation with your family. Why? He did that. He gave us gifts to take care of our body. You know, if it's all work and no play, or all play and no work, either one of those are miserable. But when you take both in the way that God intended them, you can glorify God with that. <coughs> Finally, most painfully, we're to abstain from the obvious suicide, self harm. The Lord governs life and death. And I know life is hard sometimes. And I'm not down. I'm not downplaying, and I'm not 
belittling anybody that's committed suicide or had self-harm or even thought the thoughts. But I will tell you this, that the, your life is in the hands of the Lord and it is His time and it is His prerogative. It is His right to choose your life and your death. It is not in your hands to say, I don't want to live anymore. It's a sin. And it's a very selfish sin. It's no less selfish than killing someone else. It's not. You're given a death sentence to yourself for a temporary issue. No doubt everyone in here has been touched by suicide in some way or shape. I remember when I was in high school, my cousin killed himself. Still remember that pain. Still remember the day you get that call. Wasn't right then, it's not right now. It's not the unforgivable sin. But don't justify it. Well, God will forgive me. He's already saved me. That's just off, you know. Respect the image bearer of God that you see in the mirror. And oftentimes that one you see in the mirror is the one you hate the most. But respect that one. It has sanctity. Why? Because it's an image bearer of God. Don't tempt God. Preserve your life. You're an image bearer. Your life has value. And especially to those in Christ, you have value in Christ because you're His. And you're being made conformed to His image. Thou shalt not kill. Friends, I, I pray and I hope that the next time you hear that, it makes your gut sick. I hope you remember this. I hope it gives a different weighty meaning. I hope it makes you more like Christ. And if you're thinking like I was, man, I've really completely violated this law. You know, I was reading through the first five and I'm thinking, I know I've, I know I've failed on all those. Man, I get to the sixth one, I'm alright. I found one. No, I have not. I've, I've broken this one too. And if you're like me and you've broken this one, Guess what? Jesus Christ died for murderers like you and like me. Trust Him. He lived righteously to give us righteousness. He lived without sin. He died on the cross sacrificially for murderers like you and me. For lawbreakers. We don't need to just remember that at the moment that the Lord converts us, but we need to remember that now because we're still breaking the law. We still need to seek Him for forgiveness. And friend, if you need forgiveness, He is rich in mercy. Isn't it great that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound? What we lost in Adam, we gained so much more in Christ. We had more than Adam would ever even have. He's making all things new. Trust Him. Flee to Him and He'll forgive you and He'll save you. If you're lost, He'll save you. If you're saved, He'll sanctify you. Trust Him, repent of your sin. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would help us that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Keep us from disrespecting and devaluing and dishonoring image bearers of God. Lord, help us when we think Thou shalt not kill to not just look at it on a surface level, but to really think about what that means 
why we shouldn't kill others, why we shouldn't kill ourselves. The way and the attitude in which we live our life, Lord, I pray that you would change it. I pray you'd conform us to the image of Christ. I pray that you would sanctify us, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. We thank you and we love you. We thank you that Christ died for murderers. We thank you that Christ is risen again. We thank you that he's seated at your right hand, making intercession for us even now. We thank you that he will come again and receive us into himself. We have a great, <coughs> high, and blessed hope in the Lord Jesus, who is the sure Savior of his people. We have much hope today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.